there is a song that will linger forever in our youth. Oh, our past coming back no Angie Henderson Moncada, and this is The Southerns. The Southerns is a podcast where I talk to other people like me who have left the South. We talk about why we left, who we've become, and what we've left behind. This project is not just for Southerners. Migration is as old as humanity. In fact, it's a big part of what makes us human. Today, mobility is happening everywhere, into cities, across borders, and from one side of the country to the other. We move a lot for school, for work, or just to have the chance to start again. The Southerns explores what happens when we leave a place we've known for the unknown. Then what happens as the unknown becomes familiar and the place we're from gets farther and farther behind. What sticks when we leave? What are we able to shed? How does tradition bind us and blind us to the past? How does relocation help us fabricate our own futures? And how is it that we recognize ourselves and strangers just because we call the same part of the world home? Here's my Southern story. I grew up near Atlanta. When my first date rang the doorbell, my dad was cleaning Civil War rifles on the living room floor. My mom, she went from a sharecropper's daughter, the third youngest of nine, to a department store model, then a waitress, a realtor, finally an entrepreneur. After college, I moved to a tiny place in the heart of South Georgia where I taught English to people from around the world in a language school built on a former cotton plantation. Then I left the South to move further South to Miami where I lost my accent and met my husband in grad school. Now, after more than a decade up and down the East Coast, we live with our two kids, two cats, and two abuelos in the suburbs of New York City. And while I would love for us to be closer to my parents, my sister, and my niece, I don't know if I'll ever move back home. There's so much I miss about the South, but so many other things I don't. In this, the first episode of The Southerns, I talked to Kathy. She and I went to high school together in a small town called Buford, and now she and her family live out west in Scottsdale, Arizona. Talking to her, I realized that in many ways, we both remade ourselves when we fell in love with someone whose upbringing and experience caused us to reconsider our own. Now, near 40, we're questioning and reinventing again. Kathy, for one, learned to play the guitar. That's her and her guitar teacher singing and strumming a folk song written by Stephen Foster, a Yankee, in 1854. I started this project over the phone with old friends like Kathy, then globetrotting friends of friends like Brian, who you'll meet in episode two. Then I talked to new friends like Trinesse, who as she said, was Grit's Harlem style in episode three. What they and I have in common is that we have multiple ways of seeing the world. We move ever forward, but we also look back, wrestling with our own histories and the messy legacies of where we're from. Thanks for listening to The Southerns. Here we go.
one second while I just adjust. I didn't want to miss your call. I thought it was you. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, hold on one second. No problem. Can you just tell me, sort of imagine that you and I just met. Um, tell me the the super quick version of your life story, like where are you from? How did you end up? Where are you ending up? What do you do? <clears throat> sure. So I was... <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny because I know you. Um, so I was born in Miami, Florida, um, to parents who were in the military and spent my early years with my parents abroad. Uh, my dad was in England and Germany. And then we settled um, in Georgia. And um, I grew up on what I grew up in, literally what what I would characterize as on um, the South, the white South version of the wrong side of the track. Um, I grew up there. Uh, we were the only white family in our neighborhood. Um, and, um, and then, you know, I, I spent all of my entire youth up through my senior year in high school in a town of about 10,000 people in Buford. And then, um, you know, when I was going to college, that small town had really a great deal of benefit to me personally. When I was young and I would play my OC school and I couldn't get credit anywhere, and I was able to go apply for alone at the local bank and they knew me they knew me as a student they knew that I was a good student they knew me as a person and I was able to get credit because they knew me as a person when the bank had turned me down for a thousand dollar loan for my car so being having that small town feel that really strong sense of community is is probably the thing that I miss the most about being in the south you decided at one point in your life to convert from pretty dra- dramatic change in your religious life, which has become a big part of who you are now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've discovered about all people in meeting different people from different places is that it's not necessarily particular to the South, but it, it seems to be particular to people who stay in one place always. Um, but people that stay in one place always their whole life, they tend to be very comfortable with people that look uh, just like them and practice the same religion and eat the same foods and live the same type of lifestyle. Um, and as I, as I, um, fell in love with someone who was Jewish, even though it was very different from how I was raised, it, it started to beg the question, um, are we, it just, it just made me really start to question the, the beliefs of, of not just fundamental, fundamentalism or fundamental Baptist religion, but like really of how small towns or people in small towns think that only we are correct. Only, only the way that we live is right. And everybody else is to be feared and and they're wrong. And they're going to be, especially when it comes to religion, eternally separated from God. 
and one I fell in love with someone that was different from that, it just begged a question that I, I could no longer uh, ignore, which was, are there other ways? And once I came to that conclusion that actually, no, I think there there are people from different religions that may not believe exactly like I do, but that person is, is um, the same as me. I couldn't um, stay the same religion. It, it, it changed something in me. But growing up fundamentalist Baptist, it was about church and not, I wouldn't really say the fried chicken, but as a reform, as a reform Jew, everyone gets together on the high holy days, but it's more about bringing all the families together to prepare a meal, a traditional meal, you know, or their traditional Seder, but it is, you know, brisket and lots of all soup. And, and, and that was something like when I was first married to Patrick, that was a big, a little bit of a culture shock, how serious they were about their food and, you know, just not growing up in it. There were a few faux pas. Like one story I, I made, um, and I started teaching at preschool and I learned, you know, vodka was the big thing that you make, you make on, um, Haika. And so Patrick and I were in the kitchen cooking this enormous platter of latkes and his parents came over and we had our applesauce, our sour cream and his parents get there and they're like, but where's the, where's the beef? And the whole time, all anybody had been talking about was latkes. That's what you eat. And I'm like, it just totally, I don't know. You know, but here I am serving a side as the main dish, which is hilarious to me. Right. <laughs> well, now it's but, hilarious because uh, now you know. Because now it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> one of the biggest things that I learned was like food is their Jewish people are for real about their food. Like that is very serious to them. It's very much a part more. I would say even more so as a, a reformed Jew, even more so than going to temple. That's really? There. Yes. Yes. You know, something that I miss is and converting to Judaism. I miss it so much, which it sounded like people in church clapping and music, clapping and singing and amen, you know, that kind of thing. It's very different. It's not like that in other places. It's funny that you say that we, um, part of this whole process of, I feel like, in essence, just trying to not get back to myself but sort of get back to myself, but the new self um, mm-hmm. um, that's also the old self. Um, and you know how very religious I was when I was younger. Um, and I sort of turned away from all of that because it became this, some of the same reasons you. Um, and I never, mm-hmm. I never replaced it with anything. And I felt, I came to realize how very lost I felt. Um, and then I was just ignoring that feeling of being disoriented. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, and my and my husband, you know, kind of grew up Catholic and then but never really cared about it that much. Um, so we never had that in common. And so I never knew how to engage with, like, I need to 
figure this part of me out again. Um, but we just, in like in November, started going to a Unitarian church. And I almost broke down just standing up and holding a hymnal in my hand and singing with a room full of people. I almost lost it. Oh, my God. I, I told I having chills during this conversation because but what I think that's the thing about your culture and being from the South is it is you. It's reflective of you. It's so it, it runs through your blood. Like being Southern it runs through your blood. Like it is in your blood. And I, I, I absolutely, when I hear Amazing Grace, it still has that um, effect. Like moving out here and being with my sister who has lived out here for 20 years in a very, very, very Southern accent. Very, very Southern. And it surprised me how Southern her accent still is. But we made this road trip back home, and when we got to the South, and we got into Mississippi, it's almost like you could feel that you, the sense of being home among your people. And, um, and she started singing a, a, a gospel song that my dad started singing. And we were just cracking up. And it was this song, Ain't No Grave, Gotta Hold My Body Down. And then here we are, just singing and howling. And the kids are like, what in the hell are they singing? Because they had been, none of our children had ever been exposed to that but it was so much very much a part of who we are and we and I found myself missing it mm-hmm. yep. but then you for me at least like that shame would come back when I started missing it because what I miss is also something I associate with so much hatred yes mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I, and it, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, we're almost 40 years old for mom, where, like, it happens to people at this age, but I feel like it happens, it's happening differently, partly because of being Southern and leaving the South and having the generation before me seeing the world and experiencing the world so differently than, than I have, and having, me having choices that my parents echo the choices my mom made of leaving the farm and moving to Atlanta, but are even mm-hmm. another sort of leap beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, how do you feel so at home in something that some parts of it are so antithetical to what you believe in now? That is, I think the reason that every time you describe it, I've never heard it put into words so well. It's such a very difficult thing to describe. And it's so powerful because particularly at this time, I feel like there's a resurgence of um, of um, racial tension and it, it brings back all of this. It, it, a, you feel responsible. Like, what what is it that I should be doing? Um, what role do I have in this? Because it feels very much like the 60s um, the civil rights movement was Martin Luther King, but we're we're going through a period of time where, there, you know, the police are always in the news. There are riots, and and I, having grown up in the South, I really feel like we're having a resurgence of these issues that have never really been healed, 
And right. and so so it, it that, that's where I think that shame comes from. Like we, I, you know, we I am proud that I everyone has everyone has prejudices, and we all hopefully are working to fix those. It's very difficult to look at yourself and see what your prejudices are. It's scary, um, and I and I think, um, but we we have this sensation that we don't want to be categorized in with that because this is what being Southern means. Um, because I feel this sense of responsibility for the behavior of my fellow Southerners, whether I share their beliefs or not. I feel like just being someone from the South, I somehow bring those attitudes into the room when I come and I'm ashamed of that. But I'm also really proud to be subverting them. Um, do you ever have, do you, does that make any sense to you? Have you ever experienced that before? Absolutely. 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 Um, I think shame. So I would say I'm very proud to be from the South and to be from Atlanta and to be from a place that is diverse and that really does have Southern culture and hospitality. But there's also like when you meet someone who doesn't really know a lot of Southern people, or maybe they do know Southern people and they're not from the South, you feel, I feel that the onus is on me to project a different perspective of a Southerner, that not all Southerners are bigots, that not all Southerners are toothless, that not all um, Southerners, you know, are marry their own I mean, I'm speaking in extremes, but it's, it's very, it's very true. And I think I would, that we don't marry our own family, but the, but I would say the thing that isn't really extreme is this idea that Southerners are racist. So I do feel the onus when I, when I meet someone to, to, um, to, to, you know, set a good example and say, you know, we, we, not all of us many of us believe in social justice and recognize that every single one of us has a role to play in social justice and not just equality, but equity and what that distinction is. You know, I had this realization and what led me to leave was every day leaving work, my sister Nini had moved to Honolulu and every day leaving work, having this feeling that there's really nothing here for me anymore. I really want to live in a place where I feel like I'm not out of place in my culture. I I haven't found that place yet, but. What does that feel like to be out of place in your own culture? It's difficult to describe. It's difficult to, it's like this unspoken separation of like, how, how can you describe what the Grand Canyon looks like? So when when I met my friends in Seattle, although they're very different and live very different, um, I wouldn't say very different lifestyles, but they they are very different. They look very different from me. I I told her I said I feel like a cowgirl because she has like tattoos and rainbow colored dreads down to her knees. Yet here was this instant connection, this instant appreciation for culture, appreciation for. Exploration and discovery 
and um, this appreciation for your search for what home is. Yeah. And so what, I mean, have you felt the sense that you've been searching for home, like in a, an intentional way, or are you feel that now looking back in retrospect? Me personally, um, after my divorce, I never really felt like I was always kind of searching for home. I never really felt like I haven't, it's been eight years, and I still don't feel like I'm home. We are going to be moving back to the southeast. We're going to be moving this summer to Charlotte. When I thought about moving back to Atlanta, I, I felt I, I just couldn't escape this feeling of defeat. Mm. Um, and so I just but I just couldn't bring myself to, to move back there. Um, and even Charlotte feels a little bit like a defeat moving back to the southeast, which is something I, I haven't quite figured out. Why do you use the word um, defeat? Because I, it's it, right. It's a great question, right? I don't know that I know the answer to that yet. The only place that ever felt like home to me, particularly during during my divorce, was I would go home for the holidays to North Carolina, where my um, mom, my aunt, and and my cousins, and and they we would all they would all cook, and my children were toddlers. And I would sleep. In fact, I became famous for Kathy naps, but I would sleep in a way that I could never sleep anywhere else. And it's because I had a refuge. That was my refuge. They could take care of. I didn't worry because they were taking care of Ethan and Lily. I didn't worry about that. I could sleep. Um, this is the only place that has ever felt like home in the past eight years. And that's the house that we're going to be moving into and renting. Is the house that we would go to celebrate holidays with our family, and I literally I that house, to, literally that house. And so um, it is a traditional two-story house with a garden, which is is very much a, one of my dreams for my family. It's not about you know acquiring things, but it's about just being able to raise your children in a comfortable. Place. It's, it's kind of awesome, um, and I and I'm going to be close to all of my cousins and my extended family. And my dad will only be two hours from my dad, and four hours from my mom, and four hours from Patrick. I could drive them down, and they could see see their dad on the on the you know one one weekend a month. We're all going to get together, and you come on over, and I'm going to I'm going to we're cooking out. Come on over, I'm cooking. You and, and we're all going to get together and sit around and tell old stories and laugh, those old stories are indicative of who we are as a family. And I desperately want my children to grow up with that set of values, which is respect and and kindness and love. Um, I feel at home in my own skin. I feel at home more so than I ever have in my life. And I, I value my family in this incredible way. And just the nearness of them in an incredible way that I that I couldn't appreciate before. Feel that you've got several selves or several traditions coexisting in one person. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you go home. 
and you feel at home because these are the people who understand how you grew up. They understand the way that you talk. They, they, they understand the food that you eat, and, and they love you fully, even even if even if they they don't understand you know the the way that you think or this necessity to travel and explore or whatnot. Um, and, and so you do, and yet here you are, a different person with all these different experiences that you can't explain to them. So you feel almost like two different people existing in the same place and at the same time. From I think what's frustrating to me is that our society almost seems where it has to be this choice. Like you're you're either southern and racist, or you you completely deny your roots and leave and shed all of that and say, I'm not, you know, that's not who I am. I'm just grown up there, but that's not who I am. But it is who I am. Exactly. (laughs) So that's kind of the whole question at the core of this project. I did an awesome project. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the Southerns. Since I spoke with Kathy a few weeks ago, she and her family have been preparing for their move to Charlotte, and I got a dog. Also, I've been thinking about what it means to search for and create home. Sometimes, like in Kathy's case, finding home means going back to a place of refuge and making it your own. And sometimes, like with me, you look up and realize that you've lived in the same house for five years for the first time since you were in the second grade. It's the place you lived in when your daughter was born and the only house your son really remembers. Yet somehow you and your husband are still not sure if it really feels like home. And sometimes, like with our next son, O'Brien, just knowing the place you grew up will always be there allows you to feel at home wherever you go. From Singapore to Budapest to Brazil to New York City. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Southerns, where Brian and I explore this idea further. Let me know what you think and share your own Southern story at facebook.com slash the Southern's podcast. Thanks.